Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. According to Frontlines of Justice, almost 15 years after the abuses at the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq became public knowledge, a Virginia federal judge ruled that the mistreatment of the Center for Constitutional Rights' three Iraqi plaintiffs who were detained there constitutes torture, war crimes, and cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment. The ruling also held that the private military contractor Khaki, Premier Technology, can be held liable for its employees conspiring to commit and aiding and abetting these crimes rejecting the company's decade-long claim that it should be shielded from liability. This ruling is a historic one in the fight for accountability. With the court's affirmation that the three plaintiffs have put forward sufficient evidence to support the claim that they were tortured and that Khaki can be held liable, it's hopeful the case can proceed toward trial. Alfred Swinton was exonerated recently for a murder he didn't commit. Swinton has maintained his innocence throughout his 16 years of imprisonment. DNA testing excluded Swinton as the source of crime scene evidence, with other evidence of his innocence also. After an additional investigation by the state, prosecutors asked the court to dismiss the indictment. The case is significant because Swinton was wrongly convicted largely on the basis of testimony from a forensic dentist who said that Swinton was the source of bite marks on the victim. The dentist later told the court he no longer believes in the scientific validity of his identification of Swinton and recanted his testimony. Swinton is the 30th person to have been wrongly convicted or indicted, at least in part on the basis of faulty bite mark analysis, yet courts continue to allow prosecutors to rely on this widely discredited evidence. This week is focused on words from prisoners sent or smuggled from the inside. From the jail in Evansville, Indiana, to letters from participants in Operation Push, the still-continuing prison strike across the Florida Department of Corrections, to a collection of poems from our local jail, prisoners are finding ways to share their individual experiences and collective resolutions with those of us on the outside. We finished the episode with a powerful statement written collectively by prisoners in five wings of Cordalis Prison in Athens, Greece, in response to the kidnapping of a fellow inmate by an extraction team and ongoing maneuvers in their struggle against the prison system. First, we read a letter we received from the Vanderburg County Jail, located in Evansville, Indiana. My name is Jacqueline Newborn. I am 22. I'm an inmate at VCJ like you already know. I've been here at VCJ since January 11, 2017. I've been here so long because of my citizenship issue. My case is very different. I'm in an eight-man cell, eight beds. Since it's so crowded, they have two boats in each eight-man cell, making it a ten-man cell, ten beds. There's no room to be walking around. The boats are in the way of either the shower or table. I've tripped over the boats so many times. And for our mats, no, they're not all the same. There are four out of ten girls whose mats are so thin it feels like you're just laying on a metal bunk. Also, in our day room, they have eight bunks, 16 beds, which is a safety problem. You brought up privacy, lol. That's not an option in jail. Activities are okay if you're religious. There is thinking for a change, which you have to sign up for. Celebrate recovery, church, and AA. Those last three you don't have to sign up for. There's a program going on every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. 
Sometimes they don't have room for all the ladies that would like to go to the programs. I personally feel like there should be other programs like GED, parenting class, NA, and other programs except religious. What I dislike is medical and how girls struggle to get proper treatment. I dislike the way the guards have teamed up on inmates. I see a male guard restrain a lady who was already handcuffed, knocked her head on the ground, and throw her into a seizure. All that lady did was say something he didn't like. He still has his job. I've seen lots of crazy crap. I also dislike how they handle ladies that have seizures or other serious issues. I dislike the TV issues. There should be a TV in every eight-man cell. I dislike how each lady only gets one pair of bras and panties. We should have at least two pair of panties since we have periods. I dislike the lice outbreaks. They need to check all inmates when they first get booked in and treated. I dislike how the guards treat the guys different than the ladies and not in a good way. What I like, I mean, it's okay, is I get three meals a day, a bed, and a shower. There isn't anything I like about jail. Also, the walls are cracking and the rocks are falling from the cracks. It's making the top cell cave in. The crack is so big that we pass things through the cracks. There have been brown recluses, spiders, and a lot of ants. You asked if I could imagine a world without jails, prisons, and cops. Yeah, it would be hell. 99.9% .9 of people in jails are addicts and have mental issues. We need more mental health and addiction programs. Jails and prisons are not going to help with these problems. It's only going to make it worse. I can't speak for anyone but myself. I have an addiction and mental health issues, but this jail doesn't help people like myself. It's easy to lock up a person, but they can't keep us forever. I should be getting out this year. I'll be out with no help or programs. The whole year at VCJ, all I've done is read, write, and sleep. All I've learned is these three guards are rude and a lot of them don't care about anything but a paycheck. There's nothing here to help me. When I get out, I'm going to be homeless, so I'll most likely use again. Out of 10, only one or two girls won't be back in jail. It's sad, but true. There needs to be more after jail and in jail programs. Jacqueline Newborn. And now we have updates from Operation Push, where supporters in Florida read statements sent to them and give us more details on how the situation is unfolding. We held an outside demonstration at the reception and medical center um, for a few reasons, you know, just in solidarity with the strike and also for some other issues that had gone down at that prison specifically. KKK members working there, proposed phosphate next door. And like a couple days after the strike began, we saw on the news that the roof had caved in and um, had injured some prisoners. And we got a letter shortly after that saying that a group of prisoners had pulled the roof down on the 15th. The first letter that I wanted to read an excerpt from actually came unexpectedly after a solidarity demo at a complex of multiple facilities, including Florida State Prison, where uh, Kevin Rashid Johnson has, had been located at the time. And there was a lot of uh, attention on his case because he was pretty severely retaliated against for publishing an article about Operation Push. And in the process, he exposed a lot of the, the use of strip cell uh, torture in that facility specifically. But across the street from Florida State Prison, uh, also happens to be the New River Correctional Institution, which we had heard other uh, Operation Push organizers or participants had been relocated to. So we happened to end up in very close proximity on the side of the road to a solitary unit there. And after the uh, solidarity demonstration on, on a Sunday, we received this letter two days later. Dear friend, I'm writing in response to a voice and inspiration heard from my confinement cell at New River CI on 
February 18, 2018. I did not get to fully understand the message that was being given, but I did hear enough to know that you guys were here for us and just to let us know that someone was there for us and believing in us and our rights. That's the message that I got. And it was hard to hear it all because we were getting told by COs to disregard and we were threatened with more confinement time if we were caught participating or communicating. But I listened the whole time. And then a woman came on a bullhorn with a message that ran chills down my body when she was speaking of our rights and support for us. I got the address, and I wanted to thank you all for what you, what you did on this day. It's a major inspiration to me, and I want you all to know that I appreciate you. So I think that letter was a good reminder that protests in, in proximity to a, a prison where people can actually be seen or heard can be a really major source of inspiration. And we got several other similar letters to that from that day. I am in confinement on cell phone charges and will be in the box for at least 60 days. Not a problem. I can do the sit-down from my cell, as I'm doing now. These pigs couldn't get me to work if it came with a sow and a smile. Be that as it may, I'm sitting down and ceasing to participate all day, every day. He goes on to say, The struggle is still alive and growing, and with you all, we will win. No government has ever completely defeated the people. We cannot win fight. Please keep in touch. Let's keep working together. Because as MLK said, where one person is oppressed, we are all oppressed. Also remember, the most effective tool or weapon against the DOC is exposure. So don't be afraid to put these issues in the papers, on the web, TV, or radio. Trust the truth. If it wasn't for exposure and exposing these pigs, we would have not an inch of the progress we've made so far. Please just keep working and struggle on the outside. Eventually, we will all wake up on the inside. And this neo-slavery will have no choice but to fold to the will and the spirit of the people. This is from prisoners on closed management at Florida State Prison. They say, a number of us here went on a two-week commissary strike beginning January 15th, since that is our only way of contributing to the laydown and its economic force. Someone who had been in correspondence following the September 2016 uprisings, uh, he reached out to us very shortly, well, between the time of Operation Push beginning and uh, before an uprising at his facility, which occurred on February 15th. The letter from him has not been published yet, but we have circulated some excerpts from it because it was one of the early indications that the lie that Operation Push was having no impact or was, was being entirely ignored, that the DOC basically saying it didn't exist. So we initially published just an anonymous excerpt from this prisoner whose name is Paul Luxama. Like much of what we've published anonymously, we chose to maintain the prisoner's anonymity in order to avoid further retaliation. But in the case of Paul Luxama, it's pretty clear that he's looking to publicize these stories. The opposite side of anonymity, of protecting someone's anonymity, I think also is honoring their voice and their name when they're choosing to step forward and you know, deal with the repercussions. You know, what we had published initially was uh, actually just a PS to his letter where he noted that they had him on lockdown from January 3rd to January 16th, 2018, due to the brochure that we had sent and his history of strike involvement. He said it's all good, though, because he did not receive a, a disciplinary report, and, and that boycotts usually bring these type of reactions. Earlier part of his letter spoke a little more clearly to the context of, of what had been going on in the lead-up and Operation Push and how things developed 
with repression. So I'm going to read a little bit from that. He says, hi, my name is Paul Luxama, DC number L70301. I'm a prisoner here at Columbia Annex. I have family in the area where your office is located, and I used to attend a community college there as well. But unfortunately, I never had the chance to complete it. But that's not what this letter is about. I'm writing you because on January 4th, your anti-stasis pamphlet reached me while I was in confinement. The day before it actually reached my hands, I was summoned to the property room along with 10 other prisoners, thinking we would be transferred because we were summoned as if we were being transferred. But that was a stratagem to get us all down there where there are no cameras to sift through our property and one item at a time. The thing that all of us had in common was that we were all involved in the prison riots back in September 2016 at other camps. Lieutenant Lumsford called me to a back room and interrogated me at length as to whether or not I was a Black Panther, whether or not I knew people who were writing were Black Panthers, what was supposed to take place on January 15th, and what it was all about. He wanted to know more about the 13th Amendment and whether or not the upcoming resistance pertained to the 13th. He had even expressed his sentiment about having to pay taxes to feed prisoners and maintain that a campaign should be started to ensure that prisoners don't get fed. But I had to remind him of the Eighth Amendment. I thought his questions and concerns were merely a result of letters, notes, and historical Black Panther literature that was found and taken from my property by his subordinates. But I didn't put it all together till the next day after I, I received your pamphlet. Lumsford had threatened to throw me in the box pending investigation if I didn't tell him anything about January 15th. It's crazy because at first, even I didn't know what he was talking about. Then he advised me that they will start screening and scrutinizing my mail from now on. After all was said and done, I ended up going to confinement anyways. The point of telling you all this is because I'm still being harassed as a result of a prison riot that took place over a year ago at a different camp that started out as a peaceful boycott. DOC perceives peaceful boycotts not as a threat to security, but as a threat to their power over the slaves' minds and a threat to their bottom line in regards to the 13th Amendment. We need the greater public and media behind us as we move forward with this campaign. And I will demonstrate why and how in my thesis for the 13th Amendment campaign attached. So he included a lengthy account of his experience at Jackson CI during the September uprising. He really lays out some of the position of, of why attempts at peaceful protests often evolved into violent conflict, largely spurred on by state violence inside these prisons. And I think I noted this in the beginning, Paul was moved from Jackson CI to the Columbia Annex shortly after September. And on February 15th this year, there was another uprising at uh, the Columbia CI Annex one month from the start of uh, the beginning of Operation Push. We haven't heard back from Paul and, and are hoping to get more updates from him and that uh, we'll find out what actually occurred in there. But the uprising was downplayed as a, a disturbance, of course, by the, the DOC, and we're awaiting further details on that. And also there's these major visitation cuts. They're going to cut visitation in half for the entire FDC system for the next four months as a trial period with the intent to cut it indefinitely. Our prison was locked down prior to January 15th, an alleged incident that occurred for nearly two weeks and then on a less controlled release thereafter, which we are still on, limited movement and activities. Up next, we have a selection of poems written by prisoners in our local jail. You might remember Craig, who we interviewed last month about his experiences in various Indiana facilities. During that interview, Craig offered his experiences with the Indiana Prisoners Writing Workshop. I had written poetry growing up, and then 
I didn't make time to do it throughout my post-college life. The thing that I think I I enjoyed most while I was in the New Leaf New Life dorm was the creative writing groups that came in, and it re-sparked that creative writing bug that was there before. And so that was nice to to see that kind of to remove myself and look at, you know, kind of look at myself from an outward perspective and seeing you do have a little talent there or, you know, something that you at least enjoy that obviously has been there. You just haven't exercised it enough. So it really helped you, not just me, but it helped a lot of guys get out of their head. I saw a buddy of mine that was in there and I met him while I was in there, but we became pretty close. Had never written a day in his life. Taught himself how to read and write. Is trying to, right now, actively work on his GED while he's incarcerated. Didn't necessarily trust the process of creative writing or what benefit it would have, but just because that was what was asked of him, he started doing it, and now he does it all the time. And he amazes himself. He'll bring tears to your eyes with the simplicity of what he's talking about. I oftentimes would get caught up in the ABAB format or, you know, the, the rhyming scheme and stuff. And he's just writing. He taught me that poetry doesn't have to be rhyming. And I was just always conditioned to think that it did. So I forced myself to even have to get out of the box. And we had a couple good creative writing mentors that would come in. There's such a, a want for those that are in there as an outlet to to do it's not just giving giving them something productive to do while they're in there as far as writing but then they get to come and they share it now some people don't want to share it some people do but you never know when you might share something and it really resonates with with somebody else the following poems were submitted to the indiana prisoners writing workshop by people held in the monroe county jail if you would like to receive some feedback about your own writing, please send between one and three poems, short stories, or essays to the Indiana Prisoners Writing Workshop, P.O. Box 1324, in Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. We'd love to hear from you. Alive on Letters by James Green I am starving. It's beginning to show. When I get word from you, I am full. Each day I read an old letter from you, hoping to ration love left behind. You can see my ribs now. I'm all out of letters, looking at pictures on other men's walls in case it's enough to keep me alive. Did someone say mail call? Okay, maybe tomorrow. I can only hope, sit and try to cope as I wither away, lost and forgotten. Broken Down by James Green This is who I am. It's your world that made me. Your books, your movies, your morals that taught me right from wrong. Now I'm unacceptable. You lock me in a cage. Who's really wrong and who's really right? Time is no doctor. Cold steel is no teacher. You demand me to change. I ask for help and you only feed me. 
Surrounded by reflections and orange clothes, I'm still just me. Different Direction by Albert C. Jones, also known as Poncho. I can't lie. This case got my mind frozen and my body sick like sickle cell. The headache I can't shake feels like a ton of bricks. My stomach is turning like cement mixer. It feels like they're plucking my vein like a harp. The lectures, the pressures, from who? Damn, the lectures and pressures are coming from myself. This time, this time I'm taking a different direction. Grow by Stephen Sapp, also known as Greasy. I want to live to see things grow. From the fury of a great storm started from a single drop to the ten-foot tree from one tiny seed. One sheet of paper is from any other tree knocked down by a great storm. The child who grew from a seed in the spouse of the man who held paper from the tree. Maybe the seed buried in his mind could become greater in life than the tree that withstood the storm, now given opportunity to transform into stories of future Generations who dwell in the single raindrop in the forest of days to come. Lockdown by Albert C. Jones, also known as Poncho. For thirty days and thirty nights, I stare at four walls with hate written over them, falling to my knees from the body blows of words. It damages the mind. I haven't had no sleep. How can you stop mental blows, torture, and names? They spread. I just wanted to scream, why? For 30 days and 30 nights, my mind was in isolation. MCJ by Mike Parker I came on my own, but you surely kept me. Brought my own attire, but you've decided to dress me. You've taken everything. My clothes, my money, and my name. But yet you feed me to keep me alive and well. With eyes everywhere, you even read my mail. Stop and Frisk by T.C. Stop and frisk, it's cold and brisk. Freeze and hold, the cop is bold. Bought and rolled, taken and sold. Law's broken, but who to be told? Who am I? Take a deep breath and look in his eye. What will you be when you die? As they touch, look to the sky. He doesn't care if I get high. Who has the right to ask me why? We now close our episode with the text written by United Prisoners in Kordalos Prison in Athens, Greece, providing updates on the prisoners' movement which started last fall and now includes eight other facilities across the country. It outlines the points of unity and organization and refutes media slander against the movement, including the very recent developments as a prisoner on hunger strike was kidnapped by an extraction team and put in isolation last week. They write, This text was written on February 23rd, before the abduction of a fellow prisoner who was on hunger strike, Konstantinos Yatsalou, by the SWAT team. An abduction which, on one hand, confirms what we write below, but simultaneously proves that when we say nothing from now on will go unanswered, it goes doubly. 
Today was a great victory for the prisoners who believed in their strength, blockading the prison for five hours and uniting what was demanded with the obvious. The decision of each one of our fellow prisoners to hunger strike is an inviolable right, and every attack on one of us is an attack on all. No retreating. Until the end. Until victory. At the end of October 2017, the nationwide mobilization began of those held in prison against the fascist provisions of the new correctional code. From the first moment, a Committee for Prison Struggle was formed, which consists of prisoners from all wings and nationalities. In this committee, and generally in the struggle of the prisoners, there are no Greeks, Albanians, Georgians, Arabs, but people united who demand the right to dignity. All decisions are taken under direct democracy and are collective. A characteristic example is a discussion with a representative of the Justice Ministry on November 2, 2017, when it was asked of the committee to stop the mobilization in order for the struggle's demands to be discussed in a quote-unquote calmer environment. The answer was specific. The committee does not decide on the development of the struggle, but it is the bridge of communication for the prisoners. In a nutshell, it was stated clearly that if it was possible, we would like this discussion to take place in prison with all prisoners present, and not in an office within the prison. So the struggle committee is not the 5, 10, or 15 people who appear before the representatives, but the thousands of prisoners who signed and support the mobilization's demands. And of course, the collective response to the ministry's demand to end the mobilization was a loud and clear no. Throughout these months, the mobilization accomplished many things. It made the ministry visit the prison three times and back down on some of our demands. It spread to many prisons. Nine prisons are participating to date, creating new committees. It supported social struggles, like the expansion of visitation for women and men. It protested the death of our 26-year-old fellow prisoner in Larissa. The voice of the prisoners was heard outside the walls, in radio stations, newspapers, events, internet blogs, etc., a solidarity gathering was called outside Corridalis Prison. A support committee was created by lawyers and a press conference was held. Imprisoned time was liberated by holding the yards and cells opened and we managed to block the onslaught of new correctional code, reasserting our own terms and renegotiating our lives. The main thing is that we learned how to trust our own forces and gain self-confidence because our struggle is just. However, the militancy, consistency, decisiveness, and solidarity we showed all these months seem to have bothered some. Especially last month, a war of slander has begun against the mobilization entirely, as well as its members individually. It's not enough that we are serving sentences long enough for two lifetimes. Cops also load us with every unbelievable charge without the slightest evidence. The orchestrators of this slander, of lies and inaccuracies, are naturally the police and journalists. A few weeks ago, a surprise police operation was carried out in the first wing of Corridalis prisons, and the SWAT team abducted our fellow prisoner with the pretext of a quote-unquote anonymous complaint about weapons, grenades, and escape. Then the lie expanded since the police authorities leaked that, quote, maybe no weapons or grenades were found, but that does not mean they are not hidden elsewhere, unquote. This way, they leave open the possibility for new police investigations until they find what does not exist. Simultaneously, they photographed more prisoners who maintained friendly relations with the abducted prisoner, alleging that they arranged contract killings, are behind beatings, and anything else that can complete a successful dirty Hollywood scenario. Coincidences with great importance. All these prisoners happen to be members of the struggle committee. Simultaneously, within the internet fog where everyone says whatever they want without any evidence, there was an isolated incident of prisoners who also turned against the committee. But the important matter is that we see before us a strategy being followed to weaken and slander our struggle. On one hand, we have sudden transfers of committee members under unknown conditions, like in Patras prisons. 
abduction of prisoners by the SWAT team, like in the first wing of the Cordalis prisons, and on the other, we have slanderous publications about executions, contract killings, and instigation of beatings. Thus, after the abduction of a prisoner by the cops, a climate of fear is cultivated in the prisons since none of us can know where the morning will find us and simultaneously they construct an image about prison that is a layer of evil. But what the news will not air is the death of the 26-year-old in Larissa, the forced suicides in prisons, prison hospitals, and police stations, the lack of doctors and medicine, the cold, the heaters that never worked, the dirty water and cockroaches, and mainly the lack of hope from people who, when released from prison, will return to them because no one stood by them to give them the strength and courage. So maybe the channels speak of criminals, murderers, and sweet cells. However, in reality, they are talking about people with no hope, forgotten and cold cells of just a few square meters with their lives locked up for years now. So we, the locked up people, manage to overcome differences such as nationalities, languages, religions, perceptions, and habits, and unite in a struggle to claim back our life and dignity. No matter how many obstacles they put in front of us, how many traps they set up, whatever intrigue, lies, and slander they devise, the path we carve is straight. We can only go forward, wanting to open the cells and yards of all prisons and unite with all prisoners about justice and dignity. And so it will be. We warn the police and the judicial authorities, the journalists and those who attempt to sabotage and insult our struggle, that from now on, nothing will remain unanswered. Abductions of prisoners in the night, slanderous publications and texts, lies and intrigues will be dealt with, using the decisiveness and consistency of struggle we have shown. From now on, the struggle committee is more united than ever, and every initiative will be discussed by promoting collective co-formation. And what we said goes. No prisoner is alone. Victory to the struggle against the new correctional code. Solidarity to the Struggle Committee of the Women's Prisons. Signed, Corridalis Prison Struggle Committee and all of the prisoners of Wings 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 of Corridalis Prisons. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box. KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. 